Awesome. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the well. If you're a guest with us, my name's Al. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an honor and privilege to preach God's word. We're in a book called 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's, a, it's a book written to a church in a city called Corinth. Now, I'm going to talk today about uh, some Corinthian things. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm always talking about the people in the church. And so there's sometimes you hear Corinthians and you think everyone in Corinth was a, a Christian. They weren't. Only like 50 to 80 of them were. So just imagine, big city, urban, progressive city, uh, a lot going on there. There's not a lot of Christians there. They have a small church. It's growing, uh, and it's the beginning stages of their church. And so we refer to the Corinthians. I want you to see that we're referring to, uh, sometimes we're referring to the people in the church, the Christians in Corinth. Uh, sometimes the Corinthians, we're talking about the Corinthians at large, like the, the pagan culture that they, are, they find themselves in. Because uh, we're going to talk today about some of the things that are, that are common in the, the Corinthian uh, church, uh, but, or sorry, in the Corinthian culture uh, that have affected the church. And so we'll be in 1 Corinthians, we'll be in chapter 8, uh, we'll go verse by verse through the entire uh, chapter 8, so 13 verses. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands, uh, one of our ushers or someone will bring you one. Uh, if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Take it, keep it, read it. Uh, our ushers in the back, we got it. If you need a Bible, there you go. Um, so some context before we get into the particular scripture is that in one of the pagan practices in the city of Corinth by the non-Christians were uh, that they used to make animal sacrifices to false gods or idols. Uh, they, they worshipped many gods. Uh, Zeus, the, the, god, the Greek god Zeus, was actually, the, his temple was in the, the capital of Corinth. Like that's in Aphrodite, uh, so prostitution, a sex cult, like that's all going on in Corinth as well. This is like, we've talked at length about this um, in, in, in several sermons, but they were sacrificing uh, food to demon gods. I know that you're like, man, we don't do that anymore. Like, unless you're Hindu, and if you're offended by that, that's what happens. They do. Like, there are. In our city, there are Hindu temples, and I have good friends. I know the cook, the chef, who sacrifices for the idols. I just don't eat what he cooks me. But, like, we're friends. We are friends. And so Paul's going to address what happens in those type of situations, those relationships, in a few chapters from now. This context today, he's looking at just the, 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 the essence of the heart and posture Christians should have towards our, our brothers and sisters who've been saved out of paganism, have met Jesus, they know Jesus, they love Jesus now. Uh, and so it, to help us with that, we've got to understand some cultural context. So in Corinth, um, there, this animal sacrifice, imagine uh, you needed the, 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 whatever God you worshipped, you needed his blessing. Uh, you needed his blessing to, to do things. So whether it be uh, a god of war, you needed uh, a, a, you know, fertility, uh, or you needed your crops to grow. You, this is the, the, the Corinthian, the non-Christian, greater Corinthian culture. They wanted to appease these gods, uh, so-called gods, false gods, in order to you know, cause blessing upon their life. And so what, they, what often happened is they would do so through animal sacrifice, uh, and they, so slaughter, kill an animal uh, as an act of worship to an idol, a false god, and then uh, they believed in taking, then they took, a part, they, they took part in the sacrifice through the feast and celebration, eating some of that meat. And so some of the Corinthians in the church were saved out of that environment. That was their upbringing, that was their childhood, that was their entire life, that's what they knew when they ate meat they were like, demon God, demon meat. That's how they saw it. They need, you need to see this. They didn't grow up thinking like cows are like healthy. You know, they're like cows are demonic and we love demons. Like that's what they grew up believing. And so now they became Christians. They're like, no, man, we don't, we don't touch meat anymore. Like we are vegetarians now because we cannot handle this. We have different reasons in our day and age to be vegetarian. We're not knocking vegetarians. What I'm just simply saying is that that's their context. That's where they're at. And so they saw eating meat as, as participation in, in a form of idolatry. And so some of these Christians were struggling there. So the first thing we need to see about as, as Paul, Pastor Paul, the author of this book, writing to this church and dealing with this issue is that he needs the Christians there at the church in Corinth to understand that the difference between their pride and humility. That's where we start in order to address this. We've got to be humble men and women in understanding how to love and serve our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who've maybe come out of a, 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 a pagan culture or have a different upbringing than we did. We have to, we ha it takes humility. And so pride versus humility, that's the first thing. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now concerning food offered to idols, I already gave you the context, where they're at. Now we know that all possess knowledge. 
So what he's, you notice those are in quotes, like the, in your Bible. It's, a, it's in quotes. This is a Corinthian saying. Uh, they, 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 they had sayings in Corinth. Uh, we have sayings in our day and age, in our culture. I don't have time to get into all of ours. But he says this, quote, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He says, so the Corinthians, I mean, they're a proud group of people. They, they, they all possess this knowledge. And it's the type of knowledge, he says, that it, it puffs them up. It makes them arrogant. It makes them arrogant. But he says love builds up. So for the Christian, uh, the, the goal of, of, of our, of one of the goals of, of our Christianity in loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is not to be arrogant and proud, but humble in a way that we can build up, strengthen, fortify, encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so he starts with this issue of pride. Uh, when he's going to give instruction to this church, it's gonna, it means he's going to require a type of humility, a Christian humility, a Christ-like humility. And so he's saying, y'all have these sayings in, your, in, in, the, in the culture, and they're in the church, and we all possess this knowledge. And I could give a lot of examples in our day and age, but 2020 was one of those years and, and preceding years that you had two different groups that had a certain type of knowledge, right? You know, we, and, and the other group didn't trust the other people's knowledge, and it was a big fight. And it was, it still is, and, and it is what it is. But what I'm saying here is that there, we understand in our day and age how if uh, you're like, man, I have this knowledge and this information, and uh, my information disagrees with your information, and now we're at, we're at odds here. How do you navigate that in the context of the church? He, it takes humility first. That's where he starts. It takes humility, and it takes the, a type of humility that, that takes your knowledge and, and helps build one another up, not beat one another up, not bully one another, and not shame one another, but to bless one another, to build one another. And so that's what he is, he is at right now. And so imagine, uh, so he says, some of you imagine you know everything, but you don't yet know what you ought to know. He actually says there's, a better, there's something better than knowledge, there's something better than all that information you got. Something better than the internet. You know what that is? It says, uh, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That's better. Better than the internet, better than knowledge, better than information is the transformation uh, through the life of Jesus. Knowing, loving, trusting Jesus. There's something better than this Corinthian knowledge. There's something better than our Western knowledge. There's something better than our, our cultural context of our, quote, wisdom, knowledge of our age. It is knowing, having a personal relationship, knowing Jesus, knowing God, that's what he says. If anyone knows God, he is known by God. That's where he starts. That's where he starts with this church. He, in addressing this issue, he's like, man, that's cool. You got all that, that information. That's really cool. It could be helpful. But if you don't know God, that's where we got to start. And then from there, we're using the knowledge and information we do have to help people know God, to grow in his likeness. That's where that's what, where his heart is, and that's what he's after. And so it takes a humility to know this. And it takes a humility to be a Christian. So if you're not a Christian today, you need some humility. Uh, you gotta be, and it comes with this. You're wrong. God is right. That's where we all start. God is right. We are wrong. We've got to admit that before we can even become a Christian. So the, the essence of being a Christian is a humble position because we're saying we're sinners. We're guilty. We're sinners by nature and choice. We inherited it from our, our father, Adam, uh, and all humanity is guilty. And so we're guilty too. But also, we wave the flag too and continue to sin. And we are sinners. And we are wrong. And God is right. That's where Christianity starts. So, if you, and so that's why it makes no sense for Christians to be a bunch of arrogant, proud, puffed up people like Paul is calling them in Corinth. It doesn't make sense, man. We're humble. We should be humble because it's humiliating to know that you're wrong. Anyone, no one in here likes to be wrong. No one does. When someone says you're wrong, especially if you're a guy and someone calls you you're wrong, you like fight. You're like, man, no. You're going to figure out a way in the argument to find yourself to be right, even though you know you're wrong. Like you tried that with God and he shuts your mouth and you're like, I, you, I can't talk now. Like, he took my breath away, not, and he's, he's kind of like I'm feeling choked out. Like, that's what it feels like. We know this because guys like uh, uh, Isaiah came into the presence of God. When they came into a real encounter with God, what it happened, Isaiah says he became undone. He said, I'm dying. I'm literally dying from being in the presence of a holy God. And he became stripped down, humiliated, because he, was, he became, what, aware of his sin in Isaiah 6. He became aware of it. He's like, I'm aware of my sin and all my friends. We're all guilty. And he began to confess his sins. And he received forgiveness from God. That's the essence of Christianity. Christianity starts with this posture of humility. We've got to admit we're wrong. We've got, we, we got to admit we need a Savior. And Jesus being that only Savior. 
So that's where we start. And so Paul's addressing their pride, but he's, he, he's, it's because he's going to give a trajectory to where we're going forward. And that is to the, the purpose of where we're headed is to build one another up. So I'm going to quote Jesus a few times, or sorry, John a few times. Jesus is one of his best friends. Uh, he says in 1 John 3.16, it says that by this we know love, that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So Paul's talking about brotherhood, Christianity, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what, we're, that's what he's talking about, building them up. Jesus taught this. John taught this. And he says that if this is how you actually know your love is genuine, is that it, it spills out in the, your relationships with others. And he says, just like Jesus loved you, how do we know that? He laid down his life. It took sacrifice. He laid down his life for you. So too, Christians should lay down their lives for one another in service to one another. He says in 1 John 4, 20, it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. So if you're in here today and you're like, I love God, but I hate that person. Well, you're a liar. You either don't hate them or you don't. Don't love God. You choose today. Choice is yours. I would choose to love God. Um, for he does not love his, he who does not love his brother, uh, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who is not seen. So these are, this is coming behind what the apostle is going to teach us today is that this, this type of uh, uh, love is, is rooted in, in this sacrificial love of Christ. And so Paul's concern for the Corinthian church is how they're treating one another, Christians, how they're treating the Christians in their day, like in the church. We already have talked about this at length in previous sermons that they had teams, 40 to 80 people. They had four teams. They had team Paul, Team Apollos, team, team Cephas or Peter, and they had Team Jesus. And those were the weirder ones because they were like, we're in Team Jesus and Paul's not. That was untrue. So this was of four teams. Four, imagine just showing up to church and you got four different jerseys of 80 people, 20 over here, you know, 35 over there. And you're just like, man, we're in the minor team. We got Team Jesus. You know, it's just, it's divided. This church is divided. They're divided. And so and they're divided because they're selfish. They're not concerned about the, one another. They're even divided among one another. And Paul's writing, he's saying that he's even going to now talk about how it's affecting their relationships. So they got to understand that they are part of one family. They're part of the body. This Corinthian pride has a, is affecting how they relate to one another. And, 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 and we're reminded today through, through John that this love is to build us up. We're to have the love of Christ to build one another up, not to divide your church. And so how does that work? What does this look like? It's messy. So I'm starting here because I, I, as soon as you start saying love, everyone filters in their own definition of love and not the definition of the Bible. When you talk about building one another up, you, we talk about, especially in our day and age, you, uh, some of you will in, insert of affirmation and whatever the culture says, we've got to affirm that. It's not what I'm saying at all. And so what I'm saying is that Paul is starting at this position of, of, of there is, that, that they are to be humble, the humble type of people, to build one another up, to help one another, grow in Christ-likeness, and it starts with this understanding that we're a blood-bought family, a blood-bought family. So if you're a Christian in here, Jesus' blood has paid for you to be in the family. That's a big deal. It's not your blood. You didn't get yourself in. It's Jesus' blood in. That's how you got in. And there's no way out. Like, it's, it's, it's through him alone. That is, that's how you're in. And so let's go jump back into 1 Corinthians chapter 8 because Paul refocuses now on this big idea. And this is what unites us. So hear it. Therefore, as to eating food uh, offers to idols, we, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Again, he's agreeing. This is the Corinthians saying, hey, we, those idols are Zeus is a nut job. That guy, we don't, they have that temple over there. We are not into Zeus. Zeus is, you know what, we should make a, you know, cartoon of him later. Like, that's how much they're mocking this guy. They're like, Zeus is not real. And Paul's like, I agree with you. Zeus is not real. He's not. Like, he's not. But there are demons behind uh, this idolatry. But, But yes, Zeus has no real power. He's not a real god. We get it. In verse 5, he says, For although there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, and indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and quote-unquote lords, yet there is one God. For us, there's one God, 
This is what unites Christians. There's one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things, whom are all things, and through whom all uh, whom we exist. This is what unites us. We're monotheistic. We believe in one God. So for the Corinthians who had many gods, uh, the, sorry, the, the the you know the cultural Corinthians who were not Christians and they get saved, they used to have many gods. Now they now they have one God. What unites them is they worship one God. His name's Jesus, and Jesus has brought them into this family to where they are now see God as what? What does he say? Father. God has now become father. This is the language of a family. They've been adopted into the family. This is where we start. This is why he's so concerned about how they treat one another. It's because like we're in a part of a family. When my kids fight with one another, or they, 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 they're not understanding of one another, or they belittle one another, or they, or they harm or hurt one another, the kids do these things. This is a big deal. You're a family. This is your brother. This is your sister. This is how you treat your sisters, sons. This is how you treat your brother. This is how you treat your mom and dad. This is how we live as our identity in this family. The same is true for God's family. Same is true. And so Paul's writing to a family. And so what unites us is that we believe in one God who who eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. We don't worship idols. We don't worship other gods. We don't add Jesus on to our life. There's not like I have a bunch of gods and then Jesus is an add-on. It happens in our world today. Jesus doesn't add on to your ideology. He changes and rearranges your ideology. You don't come in with an ideology and keep that. You, you, you recant that for Jesus' ideology, whatever his word, will, and way say. Some of the things you may have grown up believing are true because you can confirm it through the scripture. Some of the things we grow up before we meet Jesus and get saved are not true. We've got to lay those aside. So when we come to the Bible, we come to it as humble people. God, your word says this. So if I, dis- if I disagree with your word, I'm wrong i got to change. Sometimes that's difficult. It's hard. It takes humility. And so when you're looking at brothers and sisters in Christ, some of them are going, hey, I, I see what God's word says here. I disagree with God. You ever been there? I've been like, I disagree with God on that one. And, you, and then what do you start trying to do? Well, well, that's just the church's interpretation of it. Like, I, I just don't like that church. And we, when we start struggling there, what does that do? Then it brings, it brings disunity between fellow members because you're like, no, 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 that's what God says. That's not what the church says. How, how, that's not what he said. That's what, that's what God said. Like, no, 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 I don't like that. And so we have one of two options in this moment, to, to split up and Christian, you go to that church, we go to this church, and we just stop being friends, or, and we, we, we draw party lines and we fight. Or we can have humility and go, hey, I'm trying to help you see that God really did say that. And you may not agree with him right now. You may not trust everything in the Bible. You may not, but we want you to be a part of our family. You're a part of our family. We want to walk with you so that you come to faith. We're not going to compromise in any way what God's word says. But we want to create an environment for those who are struggling in their faith, that's struggling to believe in God, struggling in the, because of their upbringing. We are not worried about if the food was sacrificed to idols. You don't walk up to your taco truck and go, man, where was this food? Like you just eat it. These guys are going, man, I'm struggling because I'm seeing the meat. We're going to the, the community group, and they, they're doing steak night, and I'm just, I feel guilty. How do I, can I keep coming to this church? What, how do you interact? You go, no, no, we only do, this is a steak-only church. As much as, you, much, as much as you would want that, and I would be up there too. I, I, it's just not the way of Jesus. To, to not allow vegetarians to eat at your table or to ostracize someone who's struggling to believe what is true. Because what is true? There is one God. What is also true? That the idols are just pieces of junk. That's what they are. That's true. Paul agrees with them, but he's saying, hey, there's, there's, there's going to be some, some of these folks in here that you meet that are going to struggle. And we've got to walk with him through it. And so before we get into Paul's direct uh, talk with them uh, in, Cor- in, in Corinthians, I'm going to jump back to, to Jesus in John chapter 17. So I think this is important for us to, again, be reorient ourselves 
around the teaching of Jesus so that we understand how we're going to navigate these difficult conversations we might have with individuals who struggle to believe Jesus and his word, but yet have placed their faith in him. Because you need to know this, just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you, you figured it all out yet. Like, if you, be, if you be, became a Christian yesterday, you probably know very little. And that's okay. And that's where many of the Corinthians were. They just came to faith. They knew very little. That's why they're getting a letter. And so I want us to be reminded that, that we have one God and one mission, and that's what the aim of our church is and the aim of the Corinthian church is. And, it, and what is that one God and what is that one mission? And Jesus says, and he's praying for us, his people. He says this, in this eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we've, we, we, ha- we are created by God, saved by God to know God. To know God. That's, that's a reiteration of what he had already said in, in verse 3 of, of chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians, right? To know God. And so we want to help one another know God. So if you're a Christian, we want to help you know him more. If you're not a Christian, we want to introduce you to our best friend, our Lord, our Savior, our one God, Jesus. He continues Jesus in this prayer, and this is what he prays. He says, I pray. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. What is truth? I don't know. Your word is truth. Oh, man, thank you for defining it. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate or I set myself apart, that they may also be sanctified or set apart in truth. Christians are to be in the world. They're not, however, to participate in the evil of the world. Because they're not of the world. Jesus is already praying for us. He's already pre-prayed for us before, he, uh, before we were even born. He prayed this in John 17. And he says that they are set apart uh, by the truth, right? That's the big deal about Christianity. We believe there's one God and we have one Savior, Jesus Christ. And we believe in one truth. We don't believe in many truths. We don't believe in many truths. We don't believe in many gods, many ways to God. There's one way, one God, his name's Jesus, one way to salvation, Jesus. It's pretty much the answer to all the things that you could ask. What's the answer? Jesus, probably so. Jesus is the answer. He is. He really, really, really is. And so we are set apart in truth. And you're like, well, that sounds good. Your truth, my truth. No, the truth. And how do we know truth? Your word is truth. Jesus tells us that this, God's word, is what's true. So if you're struggling to, to navigate this world, you just became a Christian, you're a Christian, how do I know what's true? How do I navigate this? God's word. And so we are set apart as people of the book. That's what we are. So I don't understand the world we live in anymore where Christians can divorce themselves or seek to from God's word. You're not a Christian anymore. We love you if that's you. You're welcome here. We want to walk with you. But, when you. but if you deviate from God's word, you start to recant the scriptures, you've, you, you're a traitor. You've joined the ranks of the other team. And we want to rescue you back onto the team. We want you in our team. And we, cause we were, we, not because we're better than anyone, because we're the worst of all, and we needed a Savior. His name was Jesus. And that's what, we, that's what we're about. We're not better than anyone. Christians see themselves as the wrong party, the guilty ones, the ones who needed saving. But, but, but so, in doing so, we, we, we're set apart in truth, and we're sent into the world, Jesus says, to help herald that truth, to tell people of the truth, convince them to believe the truth, help them see the truth so they can be set free. Christians have been sent, they're on mission to share the truth in this world. I say this because this is important for us to understand because this is what creates the complexity of what we find in the city of Corinth. Because if you're doing that, you're in the world, but you're not of it. What ends up happening is you run into people who may worship idols, may have a bunch of false gods. They get saved because they're friends with you. You shared the gospel with them. You were on mission with them. You were in the world with them, but not of the world. You didn't, you didn't partake in evil, but you shared with them what evil was, what the truth was, and now they've been set free. You can't follow any of what we've talked about in the first Corinthians if you're not in the world and separated from the world at the same time. It doesn't make sense to you. What ends up happening if you're not on mission with Jesus in the world, yet hold fast to the truth, submit to God's word, will, and ways, define truth according to the Bible, not culture. If that's not you, what ends up happening is one of two things. 
You either, it, it's sectarianism, meaning you withdraw, you just make a little group for yourself. We're better than everybody. We don't want to touch culture. Culture's dirty. Those people are weird. We don't believe in them. We're going to have our own group, have our own, have our own life. We're not going to be on mission anywhere. We're not going to help other people see the truth. It's just we have our own group, our own church. We stand for truth. They're all liars, and we don't really care. That's what Islam is. It really is. Like, they don't care about anyone else but themselves and their quote-unquote truth, which is a lie. And so they're just like, man, we're not evangelizing. They don't evangelize. There's no point to evangelize when you become so sectarian. You withdraw. You have your own communities. Yeah, you may have a tight brotherhood, great friends, but there's no witness. You're not doing what Jesus told us you to do. Know the truth, cling to the truth, and herald the truth, and set people free. Well, then what other happens to the other group of people is that you're, you're so in the world, you so want to witness to them, you so want to see them come to Jesus, you, you, you care about them, your heart is, is filled with love for the lost, you start to compromise. So you get syncretism. Yeah, well, maybe we can just add Jesus on to their many gods. All, uh, several of my Hindu friends, that's what they want to do. And I have to be clear, no, you cannot just add Jesus onto the many gods. That's not Christianity. Like, no, I just... And, and some people in our world and culture are like, why not? They're not who they're hurting. They're good people. It's a good family. Kids go to good school. You raise them well. Yeah, they're upright people. They pay their taxes. They're good. What's wrong with that? God tells us that's just not true. That's what's wrong with it. They might be good people. They might be upstanding citizens. They might be great fun. It doesn't matter. The point here is that they're, in, they're captivated not by the Jesus and the gospel, but they're captivated by the, themselves and the false teachings and the culture that they're in. So we don't blend things together. This is what happens when you don't hold the truth of Scripture as your standard, as your missionary and culture. You'll either hold the truth together so much where you withdraw from everyone, you don't have any non-Christian friends, or you will you will compromise the truth because you engage the non-Christian culture. And guess what happens? They're asking like, hey, you know, you say that, you'll get canceled here. You say some of those things, we'll be offended. And this, this is what's going on in Corinth. They're struggling in this regard. Any of you have ever struggled in this regard in our day and age? You just struggle? Like, I, wanna, I, wanna, I hear what God's word says. And because of this, this context of our world, many of, in our day is more syncretism. That's, I think that's the biggest issue that's going to be in our day and age is like where we have to uh, the, our world says you have to affirm everyone or you don't love them and you struggle because you're like i don't think that's true it's not that's not we're gonna get to first corinthians 13 later i'm going to tell you that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth so if you rejoice and celebrate in wrongdoing you're not loving according to god's definition of love the culture might have a different definition of love than god's but that doesn't mean they're right doesn't mean we were right either. We don't get it either. We, the only reason why we're right is because we agree with God. God is right. And so we live in a day where, where, where love, sexual perversion uh, is celebrated in our country. So things like gender, sexuality, like things like this make it very difficult because you're like, I don't necessarily know if I agree with the narrative, but if I'm, if I'm, I'm not, then, then I feel unloving, so maybe I should just be silent. And, or should I compromise? If you're silent, then you become more sectarian. You're just like, Christianity's for me and my family, and we just don't interact with, in, with the, the space and the culture. Or you, you feel like, well, if I say this, I'm offense, offending people, and they told me I'm unloving, so am I unloving? This is the dilemma Christians find themselves in in this day and age. And I need you to see... So did the Corinthians. So did the Corinthians. And so we need to see that Jesus came into a culture. He came into a context. He came with a mission to seek and save the lost. And so if we're going to be on mission, and if we're going to understand the context of this missionary journey that Paul had in Corinth, we have to understand that Paul is coming in, and he's like, I need to see lost people. I need to meet people who don't know, love, trust Jesus. I need to meet them. But I'm not going to affirm their idols. I'm not going to worship their idols. I'm not going to bow down to the things they worship. I'm going to tell them the truth about Jesus. I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to eat with them. I'm going to be friends with them. But I'm not going to compromise. I need you to know, Paul got ran out of many cities. In, in the Greco-Roman Empire. He loved people deeply. But they all, because of this message, 
they wanted to run him out of the city. They thought he wasn't diverse enough. He wasn't tolerant enough. And so we should expect similar things, but doesn't mean it's true. And so now we get into, back into 1 Corinthians. Sorry I went all this, this route, but it's, it, 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 we have to understand this. That if we're going to be a people like Jesus, enter a culture to reach people for Jesus, we have to understand that when people get saved out of that culture, they're going to have questions. When people get saved out, out of the non-Christian city we live in, they're going to have questions. They're going to have concerns. They're going to have sins according to their conscience, which we get next. It, their minds are going to struggle to believe and apply God's word from time to time. And so Paul addresses it here. However, not all possess this knowledge. So not all people have the freedom that we have in Christ. Not all Christians are, feel the freedom of, man, I've adopted son of God. I look at the God's word and see I'm wrong and I glory in that. Like that's where I'm at now at this point in my life. I read it and go, oh, dude, I'm wrong. Cool. I admit it. I'm wrong. I've been wrong so many times that I read, when I read the Bible and realize I'm wrong, I'm like, man, that's how I know I'm reading it. It's like when I read it, I'm right. I'm like, I get worried. Like, that's the reality is I've been changed so much by Jesus through his word that I'm a different man. But I wasn't always like that. There were times where I literally would read things and, and I would be so angry so angry. I would pick fights with other Christians, not fist fights, but word fights, just so I could tear down their arguments to make myself feel better because I was reading this passage and I felt guilty and didn't want it. So I was like, I, I'm going to, I got to undo this. You do that long enough, you convince yourself of the real truth because Jesus and his Holy Spirit wrote the book. And so he, he tends to change you. So there was times where I'd come to the scripture over and over again and just struggle and wrestle to believe the truth. And be set free. But I've experienced that freedom. Not everyone, and that's what he's saying, not everyone has. Meaning this, that not everyone is on the same maturity point in their faith journey as you. By God's grace, they will mature. And that's the hope and prayer to build them up towards maturity. But maybe not at that moment. However, not all, and that's what he's saying. Like, hey, some of you guys are a little bit more mature. You, you, you're, you're knocking the idols. You, you think it's funny to like, you know, put the idols as doorposts, you know, so that you can you just kick it when you get out of the way because you think it's funny to kick idols. Like, those are the things I would do I think are funny. You know, and so you're like, yeah, but you're, you're, you don't understand when you take the Quran and put it on the floor as a, as a doorstop when you have your Muslim friend over, like, man, he might fight you for different reasons. And so, you know, like, that's just some of your jokes are not as funny to them, Al. Like, okay, some of us need to hear that. And that's what he's, he's saying, that not everyone possesses this type of knowledge and freedom in Christ to make fun of idols and, and know that they don't mean anything. Not everyone is uh, at the same maturity process as you. He's talking to the church, the church in Corinth. But some, he says, there's some in your church, through former association with idols, eat food as if they're really offered to an idol. So when they're coming over to dinner and they're eating your meat, the, 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 the steak, they're like, taste idol like in their mind they can't disconnect from that reality because their whole life they grew up eating meat sacrificed to idols and they're struggling there and so and y'all are so arrogant that when the guy comes over to eat meat he or the, the guy comes over and you're like man here's we're gonna mature him today you know how we're gonna mature him medium rare steak that's how we're gonna do it like I say this as one who, like, that's the first thought in my mind. I'm, this is part confession, confess, confession and, like, repentance, too, of, like, it's hard. You know, someone's coming in, and you're like, man, that's a, you're immature here, buddy. I'm going to mature you. Eat this great steak. And when we think that the, the issue is a taste bud thing for them. For them, it wasn't the taste of it. They love the meat. They love steak. Medium rare, the better. Like, that's great. Problem was that they associated it with idolatry. Now, should do we hope that they stay like that forever? Lord, no. We don't want them to stay like that forever. We want them to have the freedom later to eat the meat and, and, and give the glory to God. But at this moment, that's not where they're at. So that's what he's saying. And their conscience is being, it, being weak. They, they're defiled. Verse 8, food will not commend us to God. So... If you eat steak, you don't eat steak, you're not commended to God. 
But we're also not worse off if we don't eat. So we're no better off if we do eat. But take care of this. The, uh, take care of this right of yours that it doesn't somehow become a stumbling block or cause your brother to sin to those who are weak. Paul's heart here is his brotherly love and unity in the church. What he is not saying, here. this, is what he is not saying is when you're out to eat and you order a steak, just turn your head, look around and go, maybe someone's here who might see me eating the steak who, has a, had, who one time you know, ate idle meat. And that everywhere you go, you got to be on watch. The modern, modern application might be alcohol, right? Because if you're like, we go to steakhouses all the time. It's like if you grew up in the Baptist world, that's the, the Baptist pastor, what he would do, he'd go to the next city when he wanted a margarita. You go to the, the next city, next county. He's like, I got to go there to drink my margarita because if I drink it in my city limits, someone might see me. And then you're like, and? Well, they might stumble because they're like spying on your dinner. What? Like, yeah. That's not the application of this text. That's not, that's not the application. What he's saying is that you brought the dude over to your house who was the alcoholic struggling with alcohol and you popped the beer open and handed it to him. Why are you doing that? You're like, well, alcohol is not a sin and Jesus turned water into wine and you know I just think that addiction is just he's a weak man he needs to be tough he needs to get strong drink that alcohol show yourself that you don't worship that idol anymore that is what they're doing foolishness and Paul's like y'all are so selfish you're causing your brother to stumble and sin his heart here is brotherly love his, his brotherly love and so the Corinthians were so steeped into this culture, this idolatry culture, that, that those who met Jesus, uh, that they really struggled with this eating of meat. And, and the pagans, so the pagans, the, the non-Christian pagans, they, they often feared what the gods were doing. It's like, you know, uh, an example would be a thunderstorm. We just had a bunch last night, right? Thunderstorms last night, a few nights that just thunderstorm when the when a thunderstorm happened when they saw lightning it was presumed that uh, zeus was angry and whenever they thought a god was angry at them they thought you know uh man i gotta i gotta i gotta calm him down i gotta appease him it's like some of us still to this day we we, we adopt this pagan mentality of going oh well, something bad happened to me i wonder if god's gonna spite me i wonder if god's mad at me oh i cussed i can't oh i better not get in the car right now until i absolve this sin because i might get into a car wreck like we, we act like this is god's this vengeful god who's looking to spite us at every turn that's paganism that's what they did so many christians still live that way and, and, and they're weak in their conscience there. They're like the Corinthians that are weak here. They're struggling here. So imagine, you, last night, there was a thunderstorm. You woke up this morning. You're a Christian now. You were a pagan. You, you used to worship Zeus. You, you just, every time you hear lightning, you see lightning, you hear thunder, you're like, I'm having a little PTSD because old Zeus, that he's not real, he's mad at me. What have I done to him? Sometimes based off of, I mean, sometimes you might even feel this way for me when I, and that's why I struggle too to, to I'm, I try to tone my tone down sometimes. Because I know some people, depending on your background, where you grew up, sometimes you maybe had a father who was abusive or loud. And sometimes depending on how the things are queued up here and where the context, it sounds like I'm just angry all the time. I need you to know I'm not. I'm like, well, that's what my dad said. And then he hit me. Like, I'm not doing that. But I got to understand and sometimes my tone can carry a, a, a message that, that is not what I'm trying to say. I, I, it, it's, it's me understanding my brothers and sisters. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. Because half the time I don't know how my tone sounds. I think when you say I'm yelling, I'm like, no, I was just laughing. I, I understood this when I, one time my, I came home and I saw my daughter and I said, I, you know, I... I, I said very happily uh, what I thought was, hey, I'm glad you, honey, I'm good to see you. She starts crying. I thought I was yelling at her. I've never yelled at you in my life. She's like crying. I'm scared, dad. You scared me. I'm happy. I'm happy. But I understand now. Like I understand, like it takes the humility to go, okay, your tone can sometimes sound like you're just angry at everybody when you're not. How you got to mature, you got to grow up. If you're a husband and that's you and your wife's like, hey, you just sound angry all the time, listen to her. Listen to her. You're like, well, I'm not angry. And it's like, I get, I get you. She doesn't. I don't live with you. She does. 
I'm not, you're not called to love me like Christ loved the church. You're called to love her like Christ loved the church. The dude who can't, who's like driving to church now because he hears the thunder and, and Zeus, he's mad at him. He comes to church and he's like, I don't know, man. Afterwards, they're going to go to the taco truck after. They're going to go get some food. And I don't know if I can go. I'm worried. And church happens and you see, you know, you're, 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 the guy's leaving. He's downcast. He's like, hey, man, we're going to go, you know, get some tacos. He's like, hey, man, guys, I'm struggling. Like last night was a little trauma. And no, this sounds stupid, right? You have a thunderstorm and you're like, I can't eat steak. You're like, I'm just under, this is their cultural context. Well, if you're a Viking, maybe Odin's mad at you. I don't know. Like someone is. You're just struggling to. And so in their mind, in order to appease the God who's angry at me, I got to go make a sacrifice or I got to go, I got to go eat in a celebration. I got to throw a feast. I got to go do this thing to please my God. And they're struggling in this manner. And so he's saying that, that there is this idea of, of sin of, of, of according to their conscience. So the first way we know what sin is, is what the Bible says, right? What Jesus defines sin, the truth. There's also the sin of conscience. Like, like sh- this person who's, who's weak in their mind, they're struggling. And, and Lord willing, they don't stay there forever, but right there in that moment, they hear the tone, they hear the thunder, they hear the, 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 the they see the, the, the alcohol, whatever it is, they, they're just struggling in this moment. It's real. Because what does he say? He says they're eating as if it's really been sacrificed to an idol. He's like, they really think it's demon meat. And they're struggling. And, what, and so Paul is saying, that's a sin for them. Or, or, or at least at, at minimum, they should just not do that. So if you're an alcoholic or you have alcohol problems, or you, you're, an, you're an addict of some sort, you might not be able to go to some places. There's certain places you can't associate with anymore. And your weakness is, and it is a weakness, and, you're, I, and I might be this way, I might not be able to partake in certain ways forever. That's fine. We got to be able to understand that for our Christian brothers. So when they come over, they're having a, you know, having a party or, or, or celebrating, and the, the person is coming over, and they're like, man, I struggle we know that they struggle to eat meat. Cow, for example. Like, you might just get chicken. Like, it'd be better to eat chicken than to cause my brother to stumble. And you eat chicken until they're ready to eat meat, if they can. Or maybe you, you've never sipped alcohol in your entire life, but your, your, your parent was an abusive alcoholic or someone you know, and so you vowed to never drink alcohol. So you don't, like in your mind, alcohol is a sin to you. It's wrong for you to say it's a sin for everyone because Jesus would then be a sinner, but I just need you to know that it, you, it, you maybe shouldn't drink alcohol. If, if, you, if that, in, according to your conscience, you're like, man, I just struggle here. Or I'm afraid that I will become an addict. And Christian brother who who's, you know, enjoys you know, beer to the glory of God doesn't need to look at that person and make fun of them and mock them in their weakness. And I'm not saying placate and cater to, to everything. I'm just saying you just got to understand, like, bro, it's okay to not have... If you can't not have a beer when they come over, then you might be the addict. You might be the addict. If you can't not eat meat when they come over, you might have a, you know, a food problem, gluttony. You might worship the cow yourself. You might be the idolater. Like, we got to see this. If we are unwilling to lay down our rights in service of our brothers and sisters, if I'm unwilling to lay down my tone for the sake of my wife, that's an idol for me. I'm the, the demigod I'm worshiping. Just as pagan as them. Others, I know friends who like, they've come out of the demon yoga camp. And that's a real thing. If you don't like, some people don't like me calling it that. That's what it is. There's a type of yoga that's just stretching and there's a type of yoga that worships the sun god. There's two different types. One is permissible, one is not. The demon one is not. So I know people who just can't do yoga anymore. Like I can't go to the yoga studio. I can't do the yoga mat. I just can't do this anymore because I used to pray to the sun god and do some weird, you know, stretches. And when I looked that way, like that's all I remember. In, in, in a matter of repentance and trusting Jesus, I just don't do yoga anymore. Does that mean they can't stretch anymore? I No, they should stretch. Like I can't be mobile anymore. I'm going to have back problems. Like no, stretch. But I know people living in San Antonio that that's a real struggle for them because that was their background. So 
depending on where you came, where, where Jesus saved you out of, there may be practices that, that, that you attribute to some real deep darkness that you just can't do things anymore. You can't drink alcohol anymore. You can't you, you go to the bar anymore. Or you just, maybe you can't have internet on your phone anymore because of what? Like, you, you know, maybe you can't do some of these things anymore because of the sin in which you came out of, the background you came out of. Today's context may be a little bit different than Corinth, but paganism runs rampant even in our city. Hinduism is fastly growing in our day. Buddhism is, 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 is very popular in our city. And many, many Buddhists will actually just kind of, uh, they, they become real syncretists in, in San Antonio. Just flat out paganism, real in our day. The occult, Wicca, things, new age practices. If you're a public school teacher and you have kids, you, you know this is true. If you are uh, uh, friends with non-Christians, you know many of this is true. If you don't know, you're non-Christians just haven't told you yet, uh, or you don't have any, get some. Uh, new age practices like crystals. How many, I've seen so many Christians who are doing the crystal thing. We don't do crystals. If you don't know what that is, I don't have time to explain it. Like, we don't read tarot cards. Like, you might have come out of that environment. Someone like, man, I can't play poker anymore because, you know, Alcohol, you know, sometimes you drink, you smoke, and, you know, I, I, I see visions of the future. Like, I can't do these things. Man, I have, you know, Texas Hold'em night at your house with that guy. And you don't cut him out from your friend group. If you don't know people who have dabbled in some of those, then I'm telling you, this is a real thing in our day and age. Like, when you go to, like, the bookstore, like Barnes & Noble, this stuff is on the front door when you walk in. There's tarot cards for kids. And you walk into your right. If this is all news to you, you just got to get out. Look around. This stuff is all over our day and age. And you might be like, demons are dumb. They are. Idolatry is, you know, wait, this is, yeah, you're right. That we worship one true God. But Satan and demons are real and they do have impact on people and they're ruining people's lives. The, the, the demon meat that they were eating was ruining these people's lives. They were worshiping a false god. They've been saved out of it. They, they can no longer eat meat, perhaps, because of where they've been. Maybe, what is it for you? You know, it's not a sin to stretch, but you may not be able to do yoga. You may not be able to play cards anymore. Maybe, maybe you don't drink alcohol, or maybe you limit your technology use. Like, what is it for you? Where do you find yourself to be weak? Because we all are weak somewhere. And it's true. We all are all weak somewhere. So navigating these relationships, we've got to think of three things. First thing we've already talked about, what does the Bible say? Which means if it says it's a sin, it's a sin then and forevermore. It's, it's universal for all people at all times, a sin, what the Bible says. Number two, is it, uh, what does my conscience say? What does my conscience say? Number three, the last thing is we should ask ourselves is how can I serve my Christian brother or sister? So we should ask ourselves, when making decisions, engaging culture, being like Jesus in the world but not of the world, holding tight to the truth of God's word, we, at, we, we know that we, we don't deviate from the Bible, we don't deviate from the sin of our own conscience, we don't, we don't, and we don't cause other people uh, to, to, we don't bind their conscience either. And then we got to ask ourselves, how then do I best serve one another, my brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, how can I serve them? He says, for if anyone sees you having knowledge, uh, eating at an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And by so, your, your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The, the brother whom Christ died, that's why it matters that we're blood-bought family, thus sinning against your brother, your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You are sinning against Christ. So now you're guilty. You thought it was so cool that they were the weak one. You had the stake. They felt condemned. Satan got a, a, a foothold in their life. Jesus is saying, this is like me coming to one of my children and saying, hey, why did you do that to your, your brother or your sister? Like they asked you to stop hitting them and then, you know, like tapping them and then you did it again and they punched you in the face and now you're like, why are we fighting? Like, I'm coming, why did you do that to them? And he, Jesus is coming, hey, no, now you sinned. Well, is it wrong to eat meat? No, but it is if you're gonna make your brother stumble and sin. Now I have a problem with you. I've died for you both. You've sinned against Christ. It says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest my brother stumble. Later, 
Paul in verse 10, he, he's saying he, he's not suggesting that someone goes to eat at an idol's temple. Later, he's going to say he's going to forbid Christians from eating at a temple of idols. Uh, but he's saying he's speaking, um, uh, uh, you know, hypothetically here, like your so-called knowledge, say your so-called knowledge frees you. Don't you see how if you go eat at the temple, they're going to be, they're going to want to go join you? He says you're going to destroy your brother. And how do you destroy him? Number one, at least at minimum, you cause him to be very confused. New Christian confused. Ever been there? New Christian, you became a Christian, and you're like, I looked around at the church, and I got real confused about what was true, what was not true. And I, and I wasn't invited. They wouldn't let me ask questions. So if you're confused, ask questions. Ask questions. But don't cause your brother to be confused. Number two, you can destroy him by causing him to eat at the temple and sin. Number three, you could destroy him by uh, uh, him being tempted to think it's just okay to add Jesus plus his idols. So now he's a, he's, a, he's a polytheistic pagan, and he calls himself a Christian. He's worshiping the sun god when he does yoga because he saw you doing yoga and, or, and, you know, and saying some weird words with your mouth. And you're like, I don't know what the, this, my yoga teacher told me to say these words. You have no clue what they are, and you're, you're chanting demon words, and you just don't know. And... It, it's just, you're, you're just doing nothing. You're just sounding like a person that does yoga. It's not spiritual for you. But your friend who's watching you, who used to really believe in that stuff, is like, oh, that's why things matter what we do. And then, uh, number four, maybe you cause, you just destroy your brother because you just cause him to distrust you. You're just two-faced. Christian over here, act like a non-Christian over there. His point is, you guys are being so selfish, you're not looking to serve one another. So that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. How can I serve my brother and sister? So you must see yourself, Christian, as you are a guide, a, a brother, an older brother, older sister, to guide the new Christian, the weak Christian, towards freedom in Christ, not guilt and shame. And we are to help, love, serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean we placate and cater to their sins. If it's possible to help them walk in freedom, we do. Meaning this, we don't say that just because this thing leads you to sin, it's a sin for everybody. Unless the Bible says it is, we don't, we don't do that. So some people, like I said with alcohol, will say, well, I struggle with alcohol. Alcohol is a sin for me. It's a sin for everybody. That's not true. That's not true. Like there's whole churches that make this thing. It's not a sin. Jesus drank wine. We're even told that wine was given to us in Ecclesiastes to gladden the heart of man. Ever met a guy who's like never had alcohol and like calls it a sin? He's probably grumpy. Like he did that verse, gladdens the heart of man. And so if it's going to lead someone to sin, no, we, we, we abstain. How is it going to serve our brother and sister? But what we, what we don't do is just we enter this, this vortex of their own life and their own problems and their own trauma and their own, because of our world that's just like, you know, my, shared, my life experience is my truth and my truth defines my reality. And my, my, that justifies how I demand you to do all these things. And you must affirm, we don't enter into that vortex. We can understand, okay, that's where you're at. I may not eat meat around you, but I'm trying to help you out of that vortex if possible. I'm trying to help you out of that ideology if possible. I'm trying to help you out uh, of that if possible. I want you to walk in freedom according to God's word, will, and ways. And so that, 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 that doesn't mean we don't address it. Some dude is like, you know, uh, struggling with uh, technology because it's leading him to, to, to lust and to, to pornography. That doesn't mean we say you can't have a phone forever, but maybe for a time you need to stop doing certain things on your phone. We, we, we're trying to lead them towards freedom. We don't just see their sin and go, hey, you're stuck there. That's you forever. That's your identity. No. Uh, additionally, we don't, we don't look at someone who is, is like perhaps a woman who's been abused by a man, sexually abused. Imagine that. Uh, it, 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 so a woman, and that's many women's experience, especially in our church. Like that, that was your experience, and then now you're struggling to trust any man. And if it was a particular type of man, you know, you know, like an athlete, and you're like, oh, I hate all athletes. All men and all athletes. Man, what we don't do is go, we agree with you. All men and all athletes are evil, wicked, vile people. Um, not, like, it's not, we, we go, man, we, we, that, that's awful. You're in a process that we got to walk through. And, we, and imagine she's married now, and she's like, she 
it's causing division with her husband. Like, this is real stuff, I'm telling you, real stuff. And so we want to be there for you. We want to walk with this with one another. But what we don't do is say, you're right. That person did this evil thing to you. You're a victim forever, and every man is just evil. Just let's, let's eradicate them. But we're trying to help you grow in maturity, help you actually get real healing. That's what our culture does not do. Our culture does not want you healed. The Corinthian culture did not want them healed. The Corinthian culture wanted, because it's ruled by Satan and demons who, who are false gods, who manifest themselves in these stupid idols that should be smashed, in, in, in these loves and our affections and our hearts that lead us away from God to keep us enslaved, to keep us as victims, to keep us away from knowing, loving, and trusting the truth of God's word. So a woman, perhaps in this situation, just she, it's, the, the enemy's tactics is to keep her from ever loving a man or being loved by a man or to have a husband have a flourishing marriage have a flourishing relationship with her spouse maybe it's a a, a guy in 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 some of his experiences and he just finds himself in this day this age i'm gonna this is just my 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 truth my reality my lived experience and there and and we don't the world we live in doesn't offer a hope redemption and healing you say live in that Call it your identity. Your wounds now become your victories. And now, just if anyone opposes you, you oppose them because your truth is superior to any truth. Wrong. That's why we've got to be humble. All of us are guilty of that mentality, perhaps because of the world we live in. We've got to submit ourselves to Jesus, his word, will, and ways. You may be struggling where you're at because of your experience to trust God, to trust church leadership, to trust men, to trust uh, other people, to, to believe in a truth because you grew up in your whole life believing in, in that there was no absolute truth and you're struggling to just believe the idea that there's truth. I want you to know we're glad you're here. You're all welcome to be a part and, and play a part. But it's, it's, it's okay to be where you're at. It's not okay to stay. None of us in this room should stay where we're at in our faith journey. We need to all walk closer to Christ. All of us walk closer to Christ. So the question we got to ask ourselves is, what does the Bible say? What does my conscience say? And how can I love and serve my Christian brother or sister so that they can grow more like Christ? That's the big idea here. So we're going to end with this. Hebrews 10.24 big idea. Love God and love people. That's what we're here to do. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That's, how I wanna, that's, that's what I want on your mind as we end. The whole sermon is context to how to do that. Various situations, various principles with much application. But the point being is if you are not, you can hear all this, you can read the Bible, you can do all this stuff, but if you're not really caring about people, you don't really love God and you don't really love people, then it's just a charade. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let it overflow in how you love people. And so that's what we're called to do. Worship the one true and living God with our entire life. Whether we eat, whether we drink, we do it all for the glory of God. Whether we play sports, we don't play sports, where we have friendships, relationships, all for the glory of God. And where our sin has affected those and marred those and harmed those and, and, and there were created wounds in our life, there's hope, healing, and redemption in Jesus. So it's our job as Christian brothers and sisters to, to take one another to Jesus, help one another get to Jesus for, hensing, for, for healing, for cleansing. And so ask yourself the question, when you encounter a brother or sister, maybe who disagrees with you or struggling uh, in, in something, a weaker brother and sister in maybe a different area, how can I stir them up to love and good works? To love God according to his word. To do good deeds according to his word. How do I love my Christian brother in a way that builds them up, trains them, equips, the, equips them? How do I use my freedoms? Do I use them? How do I use them? How do I lay them down? If they're a non-Christian, how do I love them? How do I serve them? How do I use my freedoms to, to build them up, to point them towards Jesus? Or, or do I need to lay down my, my freedoms in order to get an opportunity to share the gospel with them? That's what we're thinking. The freedoms and gifts God, or the freedoms God has given you are to be stewarded towards this end 
to stir one another up, to cause people deeply to love God and to love others. And so to help us in response, we're going to take communion. We'll be reminded of this great gift, the way Jesus laid down his freedom, his entire life for us. To do what? Make us part of his family. To create a unity, a family, a bond, one God, one mission, one life, one Savior, one Lord. And we're going to worship him. We're going to sing. We're going to take communion. Pastor Alex will come lead us through that. Let me pray, and then he'll come up. Lord Jesus, would you bless us now as we respond? Help us uh, to see one another as a blood-bought family, to see one another as, as, as dearly beloved sons and daughters of God. May we also see that, God, uh, you've given us, there's great freedom we have in you. So maybe enjoy the freedoms you've given us, but maybe use our freedoms, steward our freedoms to love and serve one another. So maybe consider as we end today, uh, how to, how to uh, this week, to the people in our community group or the people that we know in our sphere of influence in our church, how can, we, how can we use our freedoms? How can we lay down our freedoms? What do we need to do to stir one another up to faith and good works, to love and good works? How can we help mature one another? How can we help bless one another? How can we be sacrificial? Lord, give us the heart of Christ. Help us see one another as you see us. Now you have loved and sought after us. May we love and seek after others. In Jesus' name.